The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. Ruth chapter 1 in your Bible, of course, the, the, the story of Ruth, uh, the book of Ruth is the story of Ruth. So we know that it's aptly named, uh, the book of Ruth. Matter of fact, there are two books in the Bible named after women, Ruth and Esther. And both of them were great uh, heroines of the faith. But notice what the Bible says here in Ruth chapter 1. And then we're going to actually look at a, a couple different verses. I'm, I'm assuming tonight, I'm assuming tonight that you have a basic understanding of the story of Ruth. Now, if you don't, I think that uh, I'll help you enough so that the message will still make sense. But if you have a basic understanding of the book of Ruth, this will help you tonight. Ruth chapter 1, and I want you to see verse 19. Ruth chapter 1, and I want you to see verse 19. Well, the Bible says, so they too. So this is Ruth and Naomi, okay? Daughter-in-law, Ruth, and mother-in-law, Naomi. Both of them have lost their husbands. So the Bible says, so they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And that's the same Bethlehem that you're thinking about right now. The same Bethlehem years later at which Jesus was born. Bethlehem. So they too, the Bible says, came to Bethlehem. Now watch verse 19 again. And it came to pass, when they were come to Bethlehem, that all the city, so all the people in the city, all the city was moved about them, and they said, watch their question, verse 19, is this Naomi? Something had so changed in her deportment. Something had so changed in her visage. Something had so changed about her, her countenance. Something had so changed that they knew it was her, but they had a question. Is this really Naomi? Is this Naomi? Naomi means pleasant. And I'm sure that Naomi lived up to her name. I'm sure that Naomi had a pleasant personality. I'm sure that Naomi had much to, for which to thank the Lord. Uh, certainly early on in life, I'm sure that, that, that her demeanor reflected her name. Is this Naomi? Watch verse 20. And she said unto them, call me not Naomi. Don't call me that. I don't want to be identified this way anymore. I don't like the way I was previously identified. Something has happened in my life that has caused me now to want to re-identify myself. So notice what she says. Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. The word Mara means bitter. Remember the waters of Mara? When the children of Israel had crossed the Red Sea and they could not drink from the waters of Mara because they were bitter waters? Oh, Mara, the root of the word for Mara in the Bible, would refer to one that had an upset stomach. The, the root of the word Mara in the Bible would refer to the feeling that people had at a funeral. Mara was not a good thought, was not a good feeling. It meant bitter. I'm not pleasant, I'm bitter. I'm not Naomi. Amara, call me that. Watch it, verse 20. Call me not Naomi, but call me Mara. For the Almighty, El Shaddai, the Almighty, 
hath dealt very bitterly with me. Call me bitter because that's the way God deals with me. Call me bitter because that's what God has basically identified me as. Call me what God has done to me. Call me bitter. Because the one that could have done it differently, the Almighty, the one that could have done anything, the one that could have changed my circumstances, the one that could have made it turn out much differently than than what I'm dealing with right now, that one has dealt this way with me, so call me bitter. Wow, this lady's got some problems. Look at verse 21. I went out full. Hmm. I thought the very reason for going out, I thought the very reason for leaving Bethlehem in the first place, I thought the very reason for sojourning in Moab was because you weren't full. I thought the very reason was because the economy was bad, because the grocery stores were not stocked, because uh, you needed food, you needed money, you needed uh, sustenance. And so you went out because you were empty. But it's amazing how circumstances will redefine your priorities. They realized that they were full, but they didn't realize it until they got empty. We realized that we had a family back then. I had a husband back then. I had children back then. I had love back then. I had everything back then. Oh, I didn't have stuff, but who needs stuff when you have a good family? I didn't realize it until now. I went out full, but I've come home empty. See it? I went out full, but the Lord, the Lord, the Lord hath brought me home again empty. See what God did to me? When, why then call ye me and Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty, El Shaddai, Shad, was the root word that meant a woman's breast, a breastfeeding a child. When a child is born, the only sustenance, the only hope a child has is his mother's milk. God, you who are supposed to be everything for me, you who are supposed to nourish me, you you, have not been there for me. God, you did this for me. You get, did this to me. You brought me back empty. Don't call me. Don't call me. Don't call me pleasant. I'm bitter. God made me bitter. God could have changed it. Look at it, verse 21. He hath testified against me. The Almighty hath afflicted me. This is the way it is. This is the life I have. It's not going to change. God has settled his displeasure on me. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. Let me talk to you for a few minutes this morning, or this, uh, this evening rather, on the topic of bitterness. Father, would you bless the message? Help me, Lord, to get through it effectively, but quickly. Thank you, Lord, for your word and the way it teaches us. Bless us as we seek to discover its truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The story of Ruth is the story of Ruth, but the sub-story is the story of Naomi. Ruth is really a static character in the book of Ruth, although she's she's saved in chapter 1 and verse 16 when she said to Naomi, thy God shall be my God. She chose Jehovah God to be her God. In the New Testament soteriological sense, she got saved. She embraced a God, Jehovah, as her God, and so wonderful. But really, Ruth's attitude was static throughout the book. But Naomi, she's dynamic because she went from pleasant to bitter to pleasant. 
What was it that changed Naomi? What was it in the book of Ruth? Four small chapters. What was it in this book uh, by which God got Naomi's attention and brought her to a place where she was no longer bitter? What is this Naomi syndrome? That's what I call this. What is this Naomi syndrome? I want to show you three things tonight. First of all, I want to show you how she got bitter, at least what I think. How did she get bitter? Number two tonight, I want to show you how she got better. Some people get bitter and never get better. How did she get bitter? How did she get better? And then how was she blessed? Because God didn't just take her from bitter to better. God put her in a position that she never could have imagined. God made it so good for her that she could not have even imagined, hypothetically, it could ever be this good. Matter of fact, in chapter 1, she actually entertains a hypothetical situation. She says, well, if I do find another husband, if I do have another son, I mean, that would never happen. She entertains a hypothetical situation that could never possibly be true. And God did something better than she could ever imagine. So how did she go from bitter to better to blessed? Let's answer the first question. How did Naomi become bitter? You know the story. For sake of time, I'm not going to read the entire story, but let me tell it to you. Elimelech was her husband, you know that. Elimelech and Naomi, their two boys, Malon and Kilion, lived at a time called the time of the judges. What characterized the time of the judges? Every man did that, that which was right in his what? Own eyes. And so there was a time where people were just determining their own destiny. People were making their own decision. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Right? It was this, uh, I'll do it my way generation. Sounds a lot like we live in the day of judges. And so here they are in the day of the judges, and uh, there's no king in Israel, and they're not looking to God as their king, which was God's intention. Uh, But they're just doing that which is right in their own eyes. And so economic distress befalls the nation. And we understand from the book of Judges that the reason why God allowed economic circumstances to go south was that their attention might go back to God. Sometimes God allows bad in our lives so that we can look at God as our good. In our weakness, he is strong. But instead of looking to God, they look to circumstances or look to physical means by which to help themselves. In a bad economic situation, they decided to go to a place temporarily where there was a good economy. Can you understand this? In the Bible, every time people made decisions based upon economics alone, it was a bad decision. I'm not saying that money should never be a factor in your decision-making, but when money is the, fa- the factor in your decision-making, that's, ba- that's bad. The love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. The love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay, uh, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Elimelech oh, didn't 
understand that principle. All he understood was, hey, in Moab, things are going well. In Moab, the grocery stores are full. In Moab, there's jobs to be had. In Moab... And so he came home one day and said to Naomi and said to the boys, hey, we're going to go to Moab, not, not forever. And sometimes our justification for stepping out of God's will is that it's only temporary. It's only a timeout. I'm going to come back. And so he takes Naomi and he takes Malon and he takes Kilian. And no doubt he's thinking, hey, I know it's a dangerous place. And I know that God has forbid us from going there. And I know that there's a history in our country about people that have yoked up in ways in Moab that are unwise. But I'm going to go. I'm the exception to the rule. I can do what other people have done. I can go where other people have gone. I can be tempted in the same ways that other people have been tempted. But I'm stronger. I'm bigger. I'm better. That's a lie. And so Elimelech and Naomi and Malon and Kilion went to Moab. What happened? Elimelech died. He didn't plan that, did he? You know why? Because the predecision oftentimes is the decision. The predecision sometimes is the decision. And he died. Well, guess what? You can't watch over your kids now. You're dead. All those plans you had when you were smarter than God, smarter than good counsel that you could have received, and smarter uh, than the precepts of the word of God. Now you're not there. And guess what? Your sons make bad choices because you're not there. So Malon and Kilion, they marry Moabitess women in total violation of God's law. They marry these heathen women. And by the way, can I say this? The most important choice in your life outside of salvation is who do you choose to marry? Yo, don't yoke up together with an unbeliever. Make sure that you're headed in the same direction and running for God and have a passion for his word. But they didn't do that. Malon married Ruth. Kilion married a girl by the name of Orpah. Well, guess what happened? After just a few short years, Malon died. It might have been a genetic problem. Maybe just a matter of God's judgment. The Bible doesn't say. But Malon died, and then Kilion died. And guess what? Oh, guess what? Naomi is there all by herself with two daughters-in-law, a dead husband, two dead sons. Oh, and then to add insult to injury, she begins to hear news wafting over from Bethlehem that God is blessing that the, the, the food is coming, the crops are growing, the economy is uh, getting better. To add insult to injury, she's realizing if I, we had just stayed, if we had just trusted, if we had just done right, none of this would have befallen us. And she became bitter. I'm going home. Well, we're, we're, we'll go with you, said Ruth, and... Orpah will go with you. They love their mother-in-law. Okay. So they all start to go. And Naomi says, you know what, girls? There's nothing in Bethlehem for you. Now, that wasn't true. There was Jehovah God. There was truth. I mean, more important than anything else was that those girls be in a place where they could learn about God and grow and learn. But no, she said to them, just go home. Marry somebody else. Go to your own parents' house. There's nothing in this for you. Uh, I'll never provide another husband for you. Just go home. Orpah cried. and She hugged her mother-in-law and she went home. And Ruth said, I'm not leaving. Ruth said, I'm going to stay with you. 
Where you live, I'm going to live. Where you go, I'm going to go. Your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. And they went. And that brings us back to the passage. Say, Pastor Scully, how did Naomi become bitter? How do people become bitter? This is not an exhaustive dealing in the Bible of bitterness, but this certainly gives us some clues about it. How did Naomi become bitter? Let me give you these three thoughts, and I'll move on to point number two. Maybe she became bitter because she was the victim of someone else's bad choice. Ever think about that? She was the victim of someone else's bad choice. I, I, I never chose to come here. My husband. He was the leader of the family, just following him. He came here, and he was going to take care of us, and he was going to take care of the spiritual direction of our family, but, but he died, and my sons, and I couldn't have controlled that, and, and they died, and here I am, and I never chose any of this. I didn't want to leave in the first place. And maybe you find yourself in a situation in your life where you're dealing with a hard, difficult situation because somebody left you high and dry. Because somebody did something in your life and now you suffer the repercussions of it. Like my mother. When my dad walked out of our home. When I was three and my brother was four. And my mother was now a single mother at age 27. Doing her best to raise two boys. And later on she would tell me, she said, Kurt, I would lay on the couch and I couldn't get up. My mind would tell me, get up, you've got boys to watch. Get up, you've got to care for them. Get up, they've got to go to school. But we're not for my aunts and my cousins and my neighbors that came over and helped my mother. My mother said, I knew in my mind what I was supposed to do, but I was in such depression. Listen, my mother's a wonderful woman, but my dad walked out. Sometimes we're the victim of someone else's bad choice. If we're not careful, that can cause us to to become bitter. Maybe she was bitter because she was the victim of someone else's bad choice. Maybe she was victim. Maybe she was uh, bitter because uh, she had suffered a, a series of successive losses. Ever think about that? You ever notice how when you go through trouble in your life, it's rarely one problem? Have you noticed in life that when problems come, they stack up, they come in packages? You know, insurance companies didn't invent bundling. <laughs> Problems did. They sure did. And here she is, and we don't have, we can't pay the bills, honey. And we gotta leave our family and leave our home and leave our people. And so she's dealing with economic problems, and she's dealing with relational difficulties, and now she's going to a different place, and now her husband dies, and, and maybe through all, all of this, maybe she's still pleasant. Maybe she's still pleasant when the economy's bad. And maybe she's still pleasant when they move to Moab. And maybe she's still pleasant when her husband dies. And maybe she's still pleasant when her first son dies. But there came a tipping point. There came a, a straw that broke that, that back, didn't there? And maybe the reason she became bitter was because there was a series, like waves. It's, it keeps on coming. God, what gives? It's Job hearing your children, your stuff, your land, your herds, your wife's loyalty, one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. A timeout, uncle. A series of successive losses. 
Maybe she was bitter because she was the victim of someone else's bad choice. Maybe she was bitter because she suffered a series of successive losses. Maybe she was bitter because she had been separated from the covenant community. Say, Pastor Skelly, what do you mean by that? She was separated from the covenant community. Understand that in the book of Joshua, God had organized it in such a way that that every village, every little hamlet, every population center would have near it a a teaching Levite. There were 48 Levitical cities and and there were uh, six cities of refuge and there were cities dotted strategically throughout all of uh, God's land whereby people could hear the word of God, be taught the word of God, be counseled in the word of God. But now Elimelech and Naomi and Malon and Kilian had left the covenant community. Now there's no word of God week by week. There's no pocket Old Testament. Uh, there's no way, there's no downloadable Bible. There's no email. There, there's no uh, there, there's technology. They have no Bible. They have no counsel. They have no teacher. And I'll tell you what, that'll exacerbate your bitterness. Because sometimes you think, man, things are going bad for me. And I'm suffering a series of successive losses. And man, people are making bad choices. And I'm suffering. And last place I want to go is church. Hey, listen, don't compound your problems. When you least want the covenant community, that's when you most need the covenant community. When you least want to be there, when you don't want to talk to anybody, that's when you need to talk to somebody. And maybe the reason she was bitter, and maybe the reason that bitterness settled, and maybe, maybe the reason that bitterness was fertilized is because she was separated from the covenant community. But for whatever reason, she got to the place in her life where she said, don't even call me pleasant. I'm bitter, gone. You could have changed it, but you didn't. What are you doing to me? Wow. That's a rough spot to be. How she got better. How'd she get better? In chapter 2, something interesting happens. They're now living in Bethlehem and They've got to make a living. There's no welfare system, so to speak, in those days. They can't just wait for the government to take care of them. So what do they do? Well, Ruth goes out to work. There are really no minimum wage jobs in those days, but there's a stipulation in the Levitical law whereby a stranger, that's what Ruth is, a stranger, can go into a field and God had told the the farmers of the day that, that when they would... Uh, plant their field and then harvest their field, they couldn't harvest the corner of the field. That'd leave the corner unharvested so that a stranger could come in and harvest the corner. Also, God said this, when the workers harvest a field, uh, if they, after they've harvested, if there happens to be a, uh, maybe a broken ear of corn or, or maybe some trampled barley or wheat, depending on what the grain was of, of the harvest, then a stranger could come through that field and pick out the little gleanings here and there. Oh, I found this, I found that. And maybe by the end of the day, maybe by the end of the day, they could have enough food to feed their family for one day. It was a dangerous job. The men that worked in fields back in those days were not kind men. They were not good men. And especially for a young lady to go out and work in the field all by herself. That was not a, that was not a, a safe place to be. So what does Ruth do? Well, she, she's got she's to eat, and mom-in-law has to eat. So she went to the field, began to reap in the field from the morning sun until midday. At midday, the owner of the field came out. His name was Boaz. Boaz comes to the field. He's the owner. He checks with his workers 
How's the work going today? The foreman said, well, it's going well. How's the harvest coming in? Well. Who's the uh, new woman over there working in the field? Who's that? Oh, that's the Moabitess girl. Oh, I've heard about her. Bring her here. So Ruth comes over to Boaz, and Boaz says, I've heard of you, and I've heard of the the magnanimous way by which you have dealt with your mother-in-law and how how you're sacrificing and how selfless you are. And and Ruth, I I just want you to know that I'm going to tell the young men uh, that they're not to harm you in any way. You'll be protected in my field. And as long as you work here, there's protection. Not only that, uh, you can drink from my well. You'll have free water, Ruth. As long as you work here, you'll have protection. You'll have free water. Also, Ruth, if you work here, you can eat with my workers. I'll treat you like one of the workers all season long. You'll eat You'll have water. You'll be protected. Thank you. Ruth is so overwhelmed by the goodness of Boaz to give her a a safe working environment and food and water. By the way, we can learn something there about contentment, can't we? And Boaz says, oh, the Lord bless you beyond that because uh, you've been a blessing. God will bless you. See, Boaz is bringing the Lord into it. The Lord's good. And the Lord always, you always reap what you sow. You always reap what you sow. Boaz is helping Ruth to understand about the God that she now believes in. Hey, God will bless you, Ruth. You've made good decisions, Ruth. So what happens? Don't miss it. Ruth goes home that night. Well, who's at home waiting? Naomi. What does Naomi say? How was your day? Because that's what mom always says when you get home from school or from work. How was your day? Now, Ruth is female. We know that. If Ruth were male, she would have said, good. And that's enough, right, guys? That says it all. Good. That means good. That means I didn't kill anybody. I was not killed myself, okay? It was a good day, okay? But when you ask a female that question, you get TMI, right? Too much information. So Ruth goes into it. Well, you know, I got up this morning. I tried to do my hair. I just couldn't do a thing with it. Now, I don't know what that new shampoo is, but it was on sale, and I got a coupon. Okay, get to it. Well, Mom, I went working, and this guy came out, and hey, he owned the field. His name was Boaz. And, oh, we know a Boaz. He's related to us. Oh, yeah, anyway, I digress. And, and he told me I could have free water and free food, and he told me I could work there, and I've got this big bushel of, uh, of stuff because, remember, Boaz told the workers to leave handfuls of purpose there on the ground. Man, it was just awesome. Now, watch this. Naomi said, wow, blessed be the Lord. Really? Naomi, really? Bless the Lord. Blessed be he of the Lord. Really, Naomi? I, I thought the Lord was the one that made you so bitter. I thought the Lord was the one that had settled his displeasure on you. I thought the Lord was the one that was against you. I thought the Lord was the one that was so strong, he did things against you. I thought the Lord was the one that made you bitter. Really, Naomi? How is she getting better? Let me tell you, she's getting better because God is using the godly testimony of other believers in her life. God is using a Boaz who's being kind. God is using a Ruth who's serving. Uh, Even serving somebody that's bitter. He's using the testimony of other believers in her life to show her that God is good. 
You know what better people need? Better people need people in their life that won't give up on them. Better people need people in their lives that will say, listen, I'm here. And yeah, I know you have a sour puss attitude. And I know you've got a bad attitude about God. But God is good. Let me serve you. Let me help you. Let me show you how good our God is. That's important. Maybe there's a bitter person in your life. Maybe a husband, a wife, a cousin, a friend, a co-worker that's bitter. Listen, they need for you to come alongside and by your testimony and by your servitude and by your attitude, show them that our God is good and he's worthy of all of our praise. God used the testimony of godly people. Hey, watch this. Naomi said, oh, and Boaz, he's one of our near kinsmen. He's related to us. And then watch this. Ding, 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 ding. A verse came to Naomi's mind. Oh, and there's a law that God came up with in the Bible called the law of the kinsman redeemer. And Ruth, you're not from these parts and you don't know our God. You're just newly saved. Let me explain that to you. What it means is if you lose your husband, and by the way, you did, and you have no children, by the way, you have none, that it is the prerogative of the nearest kinsman to your husband to marry you so that you'll have a husband, and then when you have children, those children will carry the name of the father that died or the husband that died so that his legacy can continue on. It's the law of the kinsman redeemer. Hey, Ruth, the Bible applies to our situation. How does God help people to get better when they're bitter? He strategically brings people into their life to have a testimony, servitude, a good attitude. But you know what God does? God helps bitter people to understand that the Bible is not just a dusty manual to be consulted technically by other people. The Bible is a letter to me. And guess what? The Bible has the answer to your issues. And if you'll open your eyes, even in your bitterness, if you'll look at it, you're going to find out that God's got you covered. In every book, in every chapter, in every verse... God has a specific application for you. How did God get her better? The testimony of godly people. How did God help her to be better? The Bible applies to me. The Bible, that's why it's important to be under preaching. That's why it's important to be reading the Bible daily. That's why it's important to uh, learn and study and grow and memorize and meditate. Why? Because the Bible applies to me. It's quick and it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing of of soul and spirit. Uh, it, 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 It discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible will show you what you need to think about. The Bible will show you why you do the things you do. The Bible will get down to those places that you won't tell anybody about because you want everyone to think that you're okay when you're not. The Bible will show you it. It applies to you. What's the third way by which God helped Naomi to be better? The testimony of godly people. The word of God was practical. It came to bear upon her life. Watch this, number three. Naomi, Naomi finally got her eyes off of her own problem. 
She had a problem. No husband, no future, welfare living. I mean, there was a problem. But you know what? She got her eyes off her own problem, and she began to focus upon the success of somebody else. You know what chapter 3 is all about? Chapter 3 is all about Naomi helping Ruth. Hey, Ruth, I'm seeing God in this thing, and I'm seeing God prepare Boaz for you, and here's my plan. Here's my plan for you, Ruth. It's the threshing season, so I want you to go to the threshing floor tonight, and I want you to watch Boaz thresh wheat. Just watch him work. Just sneak up on him. Don't let him know you're there. And when he's done threshing wheat for the night, he's going to sit down and eat, because that's what guys do. They work and they eat. Little ESPN, that's in the Hebrew language. They work, they eat, and then he's going to go to sleep. I'm telling you, I know guys, okay? Naomi says to Ruth, he's going to work, he's going to eat, he's going to sleep. Just you spy on him. Just watch it, because that's what women do. They spy on us. They're constantly listening in on our conversations. And then after you watch him work, eat, and sleep, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sneak up on him. And when he's sleeping, when he's sleeping, Ruth, I want you to climb under his covers and lay by his feet and just wait. That could be a dangerous thing, depending on the feet. Lay there, and when he wakes up, ask him to marry you. That was her plan. Perform the duty of the kinsman redeemer. Marry me. So what does Ruth do? She goes. She watches him work. She watches him eat. She watches him sleep. She sneaks up. She climbs under the covers. She lays there. He wakes up. (laughs) I'd love to have been there for that. You know. (laughs) Will you marry me? Here's Here's what Boaz said. Boaz says, Ruth, you are a noble woman. You could have had any man young or old, rich or poor. In other words, Ruth must have been a beautiful, beautiful girl. But you know what Ruth said? Ruth said, I want the husband that's God's choice. I want the husband that meets the Bible criterion. I want that husband. I want to choose a husband whom God would choose. What a a wise woman. But here's what Boaz said. Boaz said, well, Ruth, here's the problem. The problem is there's somebody in our family who is closer related to your dead husband than I. So I don't have first dibs to marry you. You know what that tells me? He had been thinking about it. So here's what he said. I've got all this food. Just sleep here a few more hours. Go home with all this food. Go home to your mother-in-law. I'll work on it. So what does Ruth do? She goes home. What does Naomi do? How was your day? <laughs> Ruth says, okay. Well, what, was Boaz there? Yeah. Well, what, was he working? Yeah. Well, did he eat and then go to sleep? Yeah. Well, did, did you sneak up and climb under the covers? I did. Well, then did you pop the question? Yeah. Well, what's the problem? there's somebody else. Ah. And you know, girls, when you cry, we don't know what to do. <laughs> we just watch, you know, some rematch of some tennis thing. I mean, I'm just telling you, we have no clue what to do. 
But fortunately, there were no guys there. So just two girls there. Here's what Naomi says. Ready? God's got it under control. Who? Who who has it under control? Who's at work? Who has a plan? Naomi? Oh, I'm sorry. Mara? How does God get us better? He uses the testimony of godly people. He brings the Bible to bear upon our life. He helps us to get our eyes off of our own problems and be vested in the success of somebody else, not sit around and talk about how bad my life is and text nine friends and get on some Facebook account where everyone else, yeah, I'm having a problem today, you know, unsmiley face, down thumb, and just a dreary day, then get off Facebook, go out and bake somebody an apple pie, go out and help somebody, and get your eyes off yourself. Just feeding yourself. How did she get bitter? How did she get better? Hey, how did she get blessed? Here's what happened. You ready? I'm out of time. Here's what happened. The very, very next day, Boaz gets up. He wants to get married. I got this beautiful girl proposed to me last night. So he waits at the city gate for the guy to come by that's nearest, nearest of kin. The guy comes by and he says, ho, such an one. And he brings the guy by and he says, hey, listen, I've got a business proposition for you. He said, uh, our brother Elimelech, as you know, who died, has a piece of property. And, and you can buy that property. It's a great deal. I, I personally would like to buy it myself. But, but you have first dibs on it. Do you want the property or can I have it? The guy said, I want the property. Then Boaz said, oh, by the way, if you buy the property, it comes with one free wife. Pretty nice, huh? That would make marriage so much easier. If we could just buy something, get a wife along with it, you know? <laughs> Pull up to McDonald's drive-thru. Yeah, I'll have the number 14, please. Would you like fries with that? Well, sure. You want a wife with that? Why not? You want to supersize it? No, no. But anyway, uh, so, uh, so, so anyway. So, the man says no. So Boaz says okay. To transact the deal, they take off their shoe and give it to the other person. Weird, but that's the way it was. Boaz goes to Ruth. Ruth, will you marry me? Yes. They get married. They have a beautiful little baby boy. Now Naomi is a grandpa. The neighbor woman say to Naomi, Naomi, that girl there, that Moabitess girl, she's better for you than seven sons. You lost a couple sons. Your best hypothetical situation was that you might have another son. But you know what? God did exceeding abundantly above all that you could even ask or think God has blessed you in ways you never could have envisioned. Oh, and by the way, the neighbor women also named the grandson. Don't let other people name your children. (laughs) Because when you do, you come up with names like Obed. (laughs) They named him Obed. (laughs) Say, who's Obed? Oh, he's the father of Jesse. Now, who's Jesse? He's the father of David. Who's David? He's the father of Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, the father of Asa, the father of 
Jehoshaphat, the the father of Jesus. Naomi, God wasn't doing something to you. God was doing something for you. It had all culminated and came to fruition in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's how we're all blessed. When circumstances and situations and broken relationships, when they lead us to Jesus, oh, what a blessing that is. So there she was, my mother, on the couch, weeping, because her husband left her. And why did her husband leave her? Leave her, among other reasons, because she refused to stop taking her boys to Sunday school. So today, I talked to my mother. You were in the car. And my mother's talking to a pastor who has four children, who has a grandchild, who love God and serve God. You know what God does? He takes bitterness, he makes it better, and then he goes all on top of that and gives blessings you never could have thought of. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.